Good morning. As we begin this morning together, I'd like for us to read this passage from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we have the great privilege to be gathered in this place as your children to worship you, to praise you, to honor you. And Father, the subject that we're looking at this morning is not an easy one. Father, we face an unseen enemy. And this morning I ask that you will protect our minds, our thoughts, guard us by your Holy Spirit, and may we let your words speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Stuart gave a quote of Charles Spurgeon at the opening of Sunday school. Scripture is like a lion. Let the lion out and it will take care of itself. This morning we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture. What we as humans say is sometimes kind of important, but what Scripture says is what God says. And so we want to keep that in mind. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be going to lots of different scriptures, as I said. But in this passage, Paul opens the final section of his letter to the Ephesians, reminding us of where we are to place our focus, our proper focus. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. We talked about that last time. The importance of that. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Psalm 121. We read that in our congregational reading, a couple of those verses. It's a psalm of ascents, meaning that it was a psalm that was either sung or, or recited as the people walked up the southern steps to the temple to worship. It prepared their minds to meet and worship our Heavenly Father. And it reminds us of the clear source of strength. Where do we find our strength? Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. And it is so vital that we remember that first of all, especially what we're going to talk about this morning, because our strength is in Him alone. He is not some outside force that we call in when we need reinforcements. I need, you know, I need to help, so I call out to him and he comes. He is present with us through his Holy Spirit. He dwells with us permanently. He is always present. And he is to affect our way of thinking, our way of acting, our way of reacting in the world that we live. He doesn't just affect us, He is to control us. 
The early church, I'm reading a book that Jim gave me. It's about the early church in the first four centuries after Jesus went back to heaven. And they had this, it's, it's, their, it's the patient ferment. How patience was their, their driving mindset. To be patient in times of suffering. To be patient in affliction. To be patient in times of calm. And they really stressed the importance of a term that they used which was called habitus. It's a simply, it's a state of being. We just, we react in certain ways, we live certain ways just out of habit. It's part of who we are. It it's comes from within and it's put there by the Holy Spirit. So our text this morning is from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. To put on something means that we have to do something. It's not passive. It takes action on our part. It requires effort. It's a deliberate act. When you got dressed this morning, it was a deliberate act. You had to decide what to put on. Why you chose what you did, I don't know, but did you think about it? I mean, I did. I wore a tie and a a jacket. Because this is church. I was taught that way. I haven't always lived that way. So it's a deliberate choice that we make to put on the armor of God. And we'll look at that specific armor, those pieces that Paul gives us another time. But why is armor necessary? What is the purpose of armor? Armor is designed for protection. And protection is only needed when there's danger present. And it's only effective when it's actually worn. Most people don't wear a hard hat or safety glasses as adorning apparel, do they? Now, maybe as a fashion statement, but you don't see anybody here with a hard hat on. Why? Because there's really no danger of anything falling out of the sky Maybe somebody throwing something, but nothing falling out of the sky to hurt you on the head. So we don't... But armor is designed to do... It has a purpose because there's a danger. Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 10, and he is sending out his disciples, and he tells them, and he's sending out us, as sheep among wolves. Think about that. I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. And you must be wise and you must beware because he says, if they have called you, if they have called the master of the house, meaning himself, if they have called him, you are of the devil, Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So that's what they were doing to Jesus. And he said, if they are doing that to the master of house, the house, just what, they're, what do you think they're going to do to you? The very very fact that we as this is a quote uh, from someone, the very fact that we are Christians mean that the devil will take a particular interest in us, and will very specially be concerned to defeat us, as and where he is able. Essentially, as of when you become a follower of Jesus, you have a big bullseye placed on your back. Because you are now a follower of Jesus. 
And it's interesting that Jesus talked about sending sheep among wolves. Sheep have no chance among wolves. But a shepherd will never send the sheep out without him carefully watching them. And that's what he does for us. The wonderful, encouraging thing that we have is that we don't put on this armor that we design ourselves. We don't have to contemplate, sit down, and and think about, okay, how are we going to defend ourselves against the devil's schemes? God has provided the armor. All we simply need to do is put it on. He has provided it. It's often hard for us to grasp the idea of an actual enemy that we can't see. I forget when guerrilla warfare was first instituted, but it's this, this unseen enemy. They just they come and they make an attack and then they retreat. It's not like the old where you had standing armies where they would, they would march out and, and then they would fight. The first row would fall, the next one would move forward and so on. No, Satan doesn't work that way. He can, but typically he doesn't. But when we think of an unseen enemy, I, I thought of the plagues in Europe when the plague went through. I think, what did they say? A third of the population of Europe died from, from the plague, but it was caused by germs. You can't see germs. There was no concept of germs. It's amazing to me that there wasn't. Because as you look at the Old Testament, you look at the book of Leviticus, it can be one of those, Anthony, where you kind of sometimes your head drops. But the fact is, it's amazing what God told the Israelites how to deal with germs. He didn't explain to them there's this invisible enemy that you can't see, but he told them how to clean their houses, how to clean their clothes, how to, their, their sanitation practices. All of that, he laid it out because he knew, as the song says, he holds the germ within his hands. He provided protection if they would just listen. He provides protection for us if we would just listen. So this armor that Paul describes, it's necessary, but when is it necessarily? Only when the enemy is present. A soldier doesn't go into battle without his armor, but when he's not in battle, he doesn't wear his armor. So armor is necessary when the enemy is present. Now some of you will remember a number a long time ago when we were still in the old church Marvin will remember because he doesn't forget anything. You remember a guy by the name of Dean Hostetter? He spoke about these sorts of things. He was from Pennsylvania, I believe, or Virginia. Anyway, he said, this statement has always stuck with me. He said, I'm not here to tell you that there's a demon behind every bush. But there probably is. That was encouraging. The second part of that verse, that we may be able to stand against the scheme, the schemes of the devil. We often hear the term marketing schemes, meaning methods that are used to get you to think of a product or a service that you simply can't live without. The whole advertising industry of the world is designed to make you unsatisfied. And they think up schemes 
They have these huge meetings where they how can we get people to do this, to buy this, to act this way, to dress this way, to drive this, whatever it might be. It's a scheme. And what's interesting is the Greek word for scheme is methodia. We get our word method from that. So it's not just this flighty thing that, oh, just pops into our head. No, this is, this is deliberate. It's thought through. This is planned. And then it's executed. That's how the devil works. He's a, there's a method to his madness. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Think of that. The serpent was more crafty. Now, the serpent wasn't a snake, all right? Because part of the curse was he was thrown to the ground and had to crawl through the dust. Anyway, another subject. Recently, as most of you know, we had the misfortune of hitting another deer on the road. Okay, We totaled a second vehicle. It seemed to come out of nowhere. Just all of a sudden, there, it's, it's there and boom. But whenever you get on the road, whenever we drive, we always, the deer are out there. We know that, don't we? We know that. We see them, hopefully not right in front of us, but we see them. But what are the chances? We take the risk, don't we? I guess I could be like Tim and Phyllis and have this big guard on the front. I mean, I've thought of that. I mean, just drive a bulldozer or a horse and buggy. I'm not sure which would be easier. But we kind of get used to it, and we're, we take the risk. But what's interesting is I noticed this in myself. Since that last accident... I drive more defensively. My eyes are constantly searching the side of the road for a deer. More attention is given to my surroundings as I do that. But as time goes on, the threat becomes less, and I get complacent. So I'm texting and driving. No, we don't do that, right? We never do that. We let our guard down. We become less attuned to our surroundings. It's just natural. It's just the way we are. And in life, Satan knows this. He knows that his schemes have to be designed to catch us when we're not really looking. Or we're not so sensitive that we think about as we should. But just who is this unseen enemy? The Scripture tells us that it's not flesh and blood per se, but he uses flesh and blood, doesn't he? Let me read to you. I found this document. I find it interesting. It's called The Seven Fundamental Tenets. Number one, One should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. Number two, the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit 
that should prevail over laws and institutions. One's body is inviolable, which means never to be broken, infringed upon, or dishonored. It is subject to one's own will alone. Number four, the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend, to willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. Number five, beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. Number six, people are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. And number seven, every tenant is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. Doesn't sound too bad, does it? You know where that comes from? How about the satanic temple? Think about that. Maybe you've heard the story of the statue that was put in the state house in Iowa City of Satan. And a young man who didn't think it had a right to be there took his head off. Just a statue. It was placed there by the satanic temple. He has now been charged with a felony, a hate crime, and is looking at prison. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 tells us that as, and Paul is speaking about false prophets, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And he says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. But often when we're dealing with those who are already deceived, he doesn't, Satan doesn't hide his schemes very well. He doesn't have to because he already has them. How many of you have heard of what's called Satan clubs in schools? Some of you have. They're propping up all over. They're only in four states so far in the country, and Ohio is one of those. This is what it said, what they say about them. They were created as an alternative to Christian-based after-school groups. So they find schools where there's after-school groups, Christian groups that meet, and that's where they want to go. 
The program neither teaches about Satanism nor attempts to convert club glowers. They instead teach rationalism and understanding the world around us. It is against the beliefs of the satanic temple. (laughs) There it is again. To teach religious practice in schools. It is against their beliefs to do that. Which is opposite to how good news clubs function. The satanic temple rejects supernatural beliefs and views Satan as a literary symbol of rebellion against authority, not as a supernatural entity. It's just benign. It's just, there's nothing to worry about. It's just fun. Rationalism of the garden variety. Garden in quotes, meaning what happened in Eden. It's a scheme of the devil. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus minces no words about Satan and his children. In speaking to the Jews who had just before this had believed in him, it says, they believed in what Jesus said. And Jesus responded this way when they were claiming that Abraham was their father. You are of your father the devil, he said, and your will is to do your father's desires. And they didn't even know it. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So it should not surprise us, it will not surprise us to find that many, can I say that most people, are pro-death while they claim they just want to live and let live. Let me explain. So the satanic temple, my knees are shaking just even talking about this, but the satanic temple is an actual organization based in Boston, Massachusetts. Imagine that. You go to their website. Just take my word for it. Emblazoned right upon the top, number one, the supreme courtship. Any play on words there? Samuel Alito's mom's satanic abortion clinic. That's not subtle. That's in your face. You know who Samuel Alito was? He was the one that wrote the opinion to overturn Roe versus Wade. Samuel Alito's mom's a satanic abortion clinic. We're shocked. We shouldn't be. Second Corinthians chapter four. Verse 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
It's just a little after-school club. It's just for fun. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insecurity, insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Peter warns, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is described elsewhere in Scripture as the tempter, the accuser, the defiler, the destroyer, and here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, the schemer. And that is what he is. And as important as it is for us to know that and to understand that, it's important for us to know what he is not. Because there is a misconception in our world of just who he is. Some say he doesn't even exist. It's just an idea. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, including Satan, were created through him, Christ, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Satan is not God's evil twin. He was created by Jesus and for the purposes of Jesus. But he rebelled. And he does not stand a chance against our Lord and Savior or against us if we are wearing the armor of God. If you take the time some, at some point to read Ezekiel chapter 28, Isaiah chapter 14, you get a better understanding of who this fallen angel is. He was the top one. He was the, the guardian cherub. He was created, but he is a real threat. Now, I don't think that anyone here this morning is tempted to go run off and join a satanic club. Or the, yeah. That's, that's not, it's not something we even, would even consider. And Satan knows that. So he uses other schemes, other tactics, other methods to get in. Peter said he's like a roaring lion, and he is at times. But I like to think of him more often for us, he's more like a, a disease-carrying mosquito or a tick that you can't see. You know they're there. This morning I'm going to look at, we're going to think about just one of Satan's schemes. And I, I think it's probably the major one that he uses, certainly in the world. And I think it's the one that probably trips us up the most as well. It's the one that caused his own downfall 
and expulsion from heaven. And I suspect it's all humans are, are at risk of this, of course. But I suspect it's more so because for us as believers, because we know better. <laughs> Pride. Pride is elevating our status or opinion of ourselves, our abilities, our strength, our knowledge over someone else, over another. It may not be obvious to a casual observer, but because it forms in our minds, it will eventually show itself. But what's interesting is you read through the Old Testament, there are times when pride is not necessarily a bad thing. It can even be a good thing. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6 says that grandchildren are the pride of old men. Huh, I've got a couple of those. And the glory of sons is their fathers. I like that and even better. But my favorite is this. Proverbs 16.31 Gray hair is a crown of glory. Did you hear that? <laughs> it is gained in a righteous life. And I found it interesting in the 1599 Geneva Bible, that translation, published in 1599, that's a couple years ago. It says there that gray hair is a crown of glory when it is found in the way of righteousness. Everybody gets gray, but gray hair is no guarantee of a righteous life. But it should be. And it can be. Satan's downfall was pride because of his beauty. It says that he was the most beautiful angel ever created. Adorned in it, Ezekiel talks about that. Beautiful. And he noticed that. He was aware of that. And he said, he declared, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, above all the other angels, all the other celestial beings, the principalities and powers. I'm going to ascend beyond them. And I will make myself like the Most High. Can anyone tell me what the middle letter of the word pride is? I. Isn't that amazing? Right in the center, it's me. Or I. Me. Now, somebody else tell me, what, does, what is AI? What does that stand for? What? Artificial intelligence. No, you got it wrong. It stands for arrogant individual. I suspect that was part of the thinking when it was first being developed. I ran across, in my reading, I ran across a list of 15 signs of pride. I'm going to give the first five. And as I read those, I thought, wow, I'm pretty good. No, it was just the opposite. The first one, I think I have these up here. Assuming you already know something when someone is teaching. 
That ever happen? Number two, seeing yourself as too good to perform certain tasks. I don't clean toilets. I do, actually. (sighs) Being too proud to ask for help. Now, obviously, that's not a man problem. That must be a woman problem, okay? Being too proud to ask for help. Feeling the need to consistently teach people things. Hmm. And the last one, talking about yourself a lot. Let's get rid of those. John tells us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And pride can only be kept in check by an honest understanding of who we really are. Of what we have and what we are able to do. Understanding that they are gifts from God. We were created for the same purpose as Lucifer was. The morning star. Satan. The serpent. All kinds of names. He was the guardian cherub. He was at the throne of God. He was created to serve God and to serve Him alone. Can you imagine being in the presence of God and having that great privilege? And He was deceived. But we are like Him in the fact that we are created, as Paul says in chapter 2, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by grace through faith, as Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. It is a gift of God. It's not of ourselves, or we would boast. Now, salvation is extremely important, and we we think a lot about salvation. We have this gift of salvation. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. We were in darkness. We were in the clutches of Satan. Our sins were forgiven, yes, but what happened was God took us from that darkness and he transformed posed us. He transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That is huge. Yes, Satan still tempts us, not only with pride, but with fear, with false humility, which is pride, depression, anxiety, 
All sorts of sins. He comes at us from every direction in every way he can. He's scheming constantly, devising new ways to get at us. But Peter says, in 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We have the Holy Spirit's power to say no. Not interested in that, Satan. You're going to have to come up with a better tactic than that because I'm not going to listen to you or to them, all those people that you have working for you. Jesus gave us his promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to end this morning with a quote. You are facing the most relentless, subtle, intelligent, powerful foe that can attack you from all quarters. There is only one place of safety. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So let's stand. Maybe you have been feeling under pressure. Maybe Satan has been like he did with Peter, demanding to sift Peter like wheat, Jesus told Peter. But Jesus told him, I have prayed for you. And when you return, you will teach your brethren. Maybe you feel like Satan's just kind of having his way lately. He's attacking you from everywhere. You can't seem to get away from him. If that's the case, and maybe it's not that bad. Maybe you just want help to be able to stand up when the pressure does come. I invite you to come to the front after we pray. And there'll be somebody here that'll pray with you. We'll stand with you and just as a give a word of encouragement. So let's bow our heads and let's pray a scripture. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. Marvin, let's sing the doxology. And if you would like someone to pray with you, you're welcome to come forward, Marvin.